0: Hello, hello. How has everyone been? It's been a while since the last podcast because honestly, I've been super busy and it has been a crazy fall for me between doing the last bit of my internship, doing some coursework at the same time, and then obviously doing the podcasts or trying to do the podcasts and kind of figuring out what, what do I want to do in the future? Because graduation is coming up. I'm supposed to be graduating in the spring and I need to figure out What do I want to do? What are my career goals? Applying to a master's program has also been on the table. And it's just been a little crazy. But, you know, sometimes that's good. You grow when you go out of your comfort zone and when things go a little crazy. But staying on the topic of future and careers and all things like that, we are talking with Professor Tara Mahoney from Cortland University today. And she is someone that is just such a great person, a great teacher, and just such a boss, at least to me, you know. And I just adore and admire her so much. And she's done, she has such a cool story. She's done such cool things. And she's actually, her and Cortland University, they're collaborating with Young Sport Business. And today we're going to talk a little about that. We're going to talk about Tara, her career path, her education, and just just dive right into it that what is it, what is it like building your career path and figuring out what do you want to do and how did she end up in teaching and what did she do before that, her education, internationalization, why is that so important? So to be honest, we have a lot of things to cover with her, but let's give her a very warm welcome. I have Tara here with me today and we're going to talk about, well, mostly about her and why she loves Finland, why she's been coming here, why she's been doing so many collaborations with us here. So you want to go ahead and introduce yourself a little bit?
1: Sure. My name is Tara Mahoney. I'm a professor at SUNY Cortland. SUNY is the State University of New York. So there's, I believe, 52 uh, four-year colleges that are all within the New York state system. So Cortland being one of them, and that's where I teach. Um, My background, I'm from upstate New York. Um, I got my undergrad degree in business with a concentration in sport management. And at the time, that was the most I could do in sport management. My program didn't have any minors or majors in that. Um, I also played volleyball at um, Nazareth College where I went. So Division III, um, which we might talk about the different divisions and NCAA within uh, the U.S., but it was a pretty competitive D3 school that I played at. Um, Then, like many people perhaps listening, I decided that I didn't really want a real job yet. I wanted to try and figure out a way to be a student and just live that college life a little bit longer. So I looked into graduate assistantships, which here in the U.S. is when you work for a college or university for a certain period of time and then you get tuition um, reimbursed, which also for those of you listening, tuition in the U.S. is pretty expensive. Um, The college that I went to, I think, was uh, at the time, close to forty thousand dollars a year, and so the tuition was waived, and then they gave me room and board, and um, yeah, in that kind, in that aspect, I um, I got my MBA, so my master's in business at West Virginia Wesleyan College, and so what I did for them as a GA is I ran their outdoor recreation program. So within the the college campus, we offered all sorts of different activities for students, faculty. Um, International students took advantage of it quite a bit, which was great, Um, and even alumni were allowed to come. So it was mainly focused on the students, but then as long as you were affiliated with the university, you were allowed to attend. So I coordinated everything from whitewater rafting trips to skiing, hiking, um, rock climbing, uh, all sorts of stuff. So it was really great. It was also a great way for me to learn about West Virginia. So that's probably about 12 hours away from where I lived. Um, farther down south than where I grew up. So I love the outdoors and it was an, an awesome experience to kind of explore the area in that context. Um, so I got my master's in business there, my MBA, and I actually liked the outdoor recreation aspects better than the business. I always had the business foundation, but really have always loved the outdoors. So I decided to pursue that route and I um, got a job back in Syracuse working for a municipal parks and recreation department, so like a town or city. So I worked for the town of Sullivan, which is outside of Syracuse, and I was their recreation supervisor. So when I was there, I coordinated all of their youth and adult sport programming as well as special events. So everything from you know all the different summer camps that we offered to hosted a 5k. Um, an Easter egg hunt, a fishing derby, you know, uh, music in the park concert series, all sorts of different things that were both sports, recreation, and entertainment. And so that was one of those experiences that I really enjoyed that job, but I knew that it wasn't something that I wanted to do long term. I just looked at my career trajectory and thought, you know, I don't really want my boss's job. I don't know if I want my boss's boss's job and kind of where am I going with this? And so when I started to rethink some of this career aspects, I always really loved being on a college campus. I miss being on a college campus, even in the outdoor the rec position that I had previously. Um, and so I started to do some soul searching of, my my thought process and philosophy for anyone who's thinking about this is always: if someone was to hand you your dream job tomorrow, what would it be? And I kept thinking, you know, I really wanted to be on a college campus. And what is that dream job? And I thought about how my professors seemed to just live this good life. That I thought that I wanted to be a teacher previous prior to all of this, um, but none of the primary subject areas really spoke to me. You know, I just didn't didn't really feel passionate about being a history teacher, an English teacher, any of those type of things. And so when I realized I could use the business acumen, combine it with my love of sport and outdoor recreation um, to have a career in teaching, and research and all of the other fun stuff that comes with being a, a faculty member, then that's what I decided to pursue. So I applied to a couple different Ph.D. programs. I um, got another G.A. position um, at the University of Louisville. So that's down in Kentucky. Um, and so I worked for them for three years while getting my Ph.D. I taught. I did research. I worked in their athletic department. Um, and so that was a really phenomenal experience to be part of a, a bigger D1 school as well to just have that kind of well-rounded, um, you know, experience from from my standpoint as well. Um, and then I got a job at SUNY Cortland shortly after that. So I've been at SUNY Cortland ever since. I just finished up my seventh year teaching there. Um, and actually, my my collaboration with Yomk is I met. Um, Dr. Ahonen Ila, at um, a conference. So I met her at ISM, the uh, European Association for Sport Management at a conference. And she is just a phenomenal go-getter of a professor and wanted to do some international collaborations. And that was one of the things that I was also passionate about. And so we've kind of teamed up ever since.
0: And I mean, I think it's so cool that you kind of went from, oh, I loved college life. I want to do this a little longer, because I feel like it's a lot of pressure mm-hmm. for a lot of people that Once you get your bachelor's, it's like, oh, now you need to get a job. But you don't necessarily have to go that route. You can do something different. And then you kind of ended up back on a college campus after that. (laughs) Exactly. And one
1: of the pieces of advice that my dad always gave me was, I would get overwhelmed thinking about what I want to be when I grow up or what I want to do for the rest of my life. And he was like, just think about what, like, what will make you happy next year? What do you want next year to look like? And so that was the philosophy that I took for a while until I figured out what I actually wanted to do. But I agree with you that there's, there's a lot of pressure when you have been in school since you were, you know, five years old or whatever it is, um, you know, close to 20 years straight for some people. And then it's like, now what, now what do you do? And it's, I think all of these jobs and for myself, too, of kind of what you just heard is sometimes it's it's not figuring out what you want to do. It's figuring out what you don't want to do. And then once you start to eliminate some of those options, you eventually get to where you should be.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I feel like especially in today's world, nobody really works for the same company for 50 years anymore. So it's not that it's not a bad thing to kind of try some things out and then figure out where you want to end up.
1: Exactly. And I think that's changed, That shifted, like you said, in the past, you know, generation at least where some of our, our grandparents might've worked for the same company for their entire careers. But now I think last time I looked and don't quote me on this, it was probably a US stat and not a global stat, but it was like the average time at a business is like three to five years, whereas it used to be 20 to 25 years. So it's much more common for people to shift shift career paths and also shift jobs within a particular
0: industry. Yeah. Yeah. But back to college life in the United States, I experienced a couple years of it myself and I, I really love my time over there, but it's so very different because like you said, you work at a recreational like area inside the college. We don't, we have some of that, but not that much. Like here, people don't live on campus, the students. We get our own apartments around the city and we don't really have big gyms and big athletics fields and stuff. And the life doesn't revolve around the campus like it kind of does in the US when you're in college. Yeah,
1: and that's something that like I didn't realize as well until I started to, to travel abroad and see more college campuses be more involved with other international universities is the differences between... You know, here and there and even just one country to another. I know the United States is kind of an anomaly in that, um, but it's something that I have always been a part of. Um, and so between the collegiate athletics, but then, like you said, the recreation side is huge. And that's a big draw for students to come to a particular campus is even just the athletic facilities for the non-athletes of having, you know, we at SUNY Cortland just built a really great student life center, they called it. And so it has um, a pool and a rock climbing gym and, you know, a, a elevated track that goes around the whole facility and, um different TVs that have gaming stations on them for people that just want to hang out and play video games. There's a dining hall embedded in it. There's, um, you know, some simulated golf courses, like a video golf program you can get into and all of those things. And that's just, that's the the D3 athletics are not allowed to use those facilities for sports. They have their own facilities to, to work out at and, you know, weight rooms and whatnot. But that's just for the student body. So we definitely... Colleges and campuses, most of the time students will will live on campus and then it's creating that campus community around sport and recreation. So providing the opportunities for the students to, you know, enjoy, enjoy whatever it is that is their passion when they're living on campus.
0: Yeah because for me, because obviously I knew what college life and university life was like in Finland. And I was like, oh yeah, United States, it doesn't seem so different, you know, and people are nice and I'm just going to go over there. And then the whole living on campus, I mean, it was really cool. It was really different, but I'm so glad I had the experience. But even the athletics facilities, they're like pro level facilities. And I was like, wow, they really have these for us that what, what is this? And then there's all those recreational facilities on top of that. And I was like, we don't even have this many facilities in the whole city.
1: (laughs) Exactly. And I think one of the, you know, for which I don't think you've been to SUNY Cortland yet, but at some point when you visit upstate New York, you'll see too, the difference between division one and division three, but we're SUNY Cortland is also a very competitive division three school. So we also have really, really nice facilities both for athletics as well as recreation because that's kind of part of what SUNY Cortland prides themselves on. And so it's, it is a, a big difference in that context. But I bet at Arkansas, um, you know, it's even more so at the Division One level.
0: Yeah. And I feel like in, in the United States, it's more of a – every college has some – even if it's like a tiny, tiny college – they have some type of recreational facilities and they have, you know, dorm rooms for the students and all of that. And it's more of a sense of pride, you know, the school team, even for a little town, everybody comes and cheers. And it's more of a community together.
1: Yeah, it definitely is. And that's, that's another interesting point that, that it's one of those things that I don't recognize because I'm a part of it until you leave or hear someone like yourself saying those things. Um, But the, the college pride that people have both as alumni, so you went to this school and now you're a fan of that team and that program for the rest of your life, um, as well as even from where you're from. So I'm from Syracuse, New York, um, and I teach at SUNY Cortland, so it's about half an hour away, but I never went to Syracuse University, but I am from here, so I'm a lifelong Syracuse fan. I, you know, have had season tickets to football, season tickets to basketball, you know, have more than my fair, fair share of Syracuse gear. And I never even went to that school. So it's interesting how all of that works. But because of, like you said, the, the vast amount of sport that is kind of ingrained and intertwined with the universities you have those different components in that that community and that fandom associated with with schools in the U.S. way more than we see otherwise.
0: Yeah and even though I'm not from there and I was only there for a couple of years I feel like it kind of rubbed off on me and I still regularly (laughs) check the stats of like Arkansas State school teams and stuff like that. And I'm like, whoa, what am I doing? I don't even live there anymore. What happened?
1: <laughs> exactly. It just, it just becomes part of, uh, part of what you do.
0: Yeah, yeah, it for sure does. But so there's an exchange agreement between our schools, obviously. And I don't know anyone who's been to Sunny, but have you guys had students come here? Do you know if they've liked it here? What was their experience? So I don't think that we have had anyone
1: that has fully studied abroad there yet. But we, um, I have taken students there in, um, a, in a sport international course that we kind of collaborate on. So I can talk to you guys a little bit about that. The, um, this is actually Isla's brainchild. It's, the class is formerly known as Sport International. I believe it just changed names and now it's called um, Sport for International Development or something along those lines. And it's different at every school. So we call it a COIL course. Um, So at SUNY Courtland, it's listed as a COIL course, COIL is a a, a concept that SUNY came up with that's called Collaborative Online International Learning. So that's the acronym. So this COIL course fits perfect with what you guys were already doing. Um, And so in this course, we have uh, three or four different colleges. It kind of depends on who's available at what time and which students can, can participate. Um, but the past few years, it's been, uh, SUNY Cortland, Yomk, um, Bilge, uh, Istanbul university. Um, and then last year it was, um, Lithuania sport university. And so those four colleges, we all kind of get together and co-teach this class. So all of our students are on the same learning platform. Um, we used actually the Finnish Optima this past year. And so we, Get different lectures from around the world to teach some of the classes uh, on, um, you know, what their areas of expertise are. And then we also, you know, teach and supplement and whatnot. Um, And so the students are all in this virtual learning space. Even pre-COVID, we did virtual learning um, to have everybody come together and learn from these international scholars. And then the coolest part about it is... The second half of the class, we teach using case studies, and so we take real-life examples of different things that have happened in the sport industry, and the students are put into multinational groups, so one student from Cortland, one student from Finland, one student from Turkey, so on and so forth, Um, and they work together throughout the semester to complete these assignments, complete these case studies, so they work virtually for you know, three or four months. And then we have what we call a culminating seminar at the end of the semester, where we'll travel to one of our institutions and have like a 10-day mini study abroad program, and then also have a case study competition. So kind of the, the final case study that the students will do. And the coolest part about that is you've been working with someone, in you know, virtually for the entire semester, and now you get to meet them in person. So Rather than just FaceTiming or texting or whatever you're doing and, you know, Google Doc that you're all working on to complete these assignments, now you get to sit next to them and, and chat and go out to dinner and all of those fun things. And so in that context, I think it was four or five years ago, we brought students to Finland and everybody loved it. You know, we came to Finland in, I think it was late November, early December. It was like the last week in November, first week in December, um, And it was like cold and rainy and not even a pretty snow. It was like a slush snow, but my students just were, you know, through the roof with this place is so cool. And, um, you know, we went to the, one of the ski resorts that's right by you guys. And I know they had downhill and cross country skiing. So some of my students skied and snowboarded, we hiked, we had outside, um, we had like an outside barbecue in the winter and we visited, um, the, the Finnish Olympic headquarters and all sorts of stuff. So yes, my students loved, loved Finland. It was a really cool time of year to be there too, because you guys were gearing up for Christmas. So the, the Christmas markets were in Helsinki as well. And, um, yeah, they, they came back and they were raving about Finland and the way that the program works is we'll rotate through. So the following year we took students to the Netherlands. That was one of our partners. And actually the year after that, um, just last year, well, pre COVID last year, we, um, the Finns came to the U.S. So we hosted at SUNY Cortland. So that was nice too. And I think um, that was a cool experience to kind of see the other side of it of what everybody thinks of our campus. But yeah, we are, we're all big fans. And I've been there a couple other times doing research and collaborating with um, the colleagues at Yomp outside of that as well. And so Uvascula is near and dear to my heart and all the students that came really, really loved your town as well.
0: Yeah. I mean, for us, it's kind of end of November, early December, because usually there isn't much snow yet and it's all slush and it's dark and gloomy. So for us, it's kind of like, oh, this is the worst time of the year to come. Why are you coming right now? But I'm glad they loved it. (laughs) Yeah. And I think, you know, part of
1: it is just everyone's attitude of what you're doing, because it was the weather was. Not great. You know, our, our weathers are actually pretty similar in upstate New York and Finland. I think you guys get more sl- snow and less sunlight in the winter. But other than that, it's it's pretty close. And it was just, you know, the weather was not great. But I think my students were so excited to be there and so excited to be just a part of the program and to, to learn from you guys and to see a new city and to experience Finland that they didn't even think twice about the weather. It was just put your, put your raincoat on, put an extra you know, ski hat on and let's go do whatever we're going to do. Yeah. I was going to say one of the, one of the things that I think is unique to, um, to Finland that we saw when we were there is the, um, the overall thing that you guys do. Right. and I don't even know what that is you wear overalls when you like pick your major or something and like everyone in town was in certain certain overalls and my students I had seen it before when I had been there but that is unique to I don't know if it's unique to Finland or if it's unique to the EU or whatnot but that is definitely something that is that we don't have that my students were like what is everybody doing what are these you know choose your major pants or <laughs> you can explain that more I'm sure everybody <laughs> listening knows but
0: <laughs> yeah I mean I don't know if the overalls are just a finished thing or if it's in Sweden Norway other Nordic countries as well but I think it's more of a finished thing so and the overalls are really ugly but everyone uses them so the point is that every kind of every school. So the business school has their own color. And then, you know, engineering has their own color. And then IT has their own color of overalls. So everybody has their own color. And whenever there's like these big student parties going down, going on downtown, or stuff like that, so everybody wears the overalls. And then you collect these little kind of like clothing, you collect little pins and little patches that you can put on the overalls. And the point is that You've been to a lot of cool events. You're a cool guy. You've done a lot of cool stuff if you have a lot of patches on your overalls.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think it was one of the nights that we were downtown. We saw, you know, hundreds of students in all these different color overalls. And we all just thought, like, what is going on right now? This is something that's definitely unique outside of the U.S. I don't know how widespread it is, but interesting to be a part of and, and to see, too.
0: Yeah, and I don't think there's like a larger philosophy behind it or it doesn't really make any sense. Somebody just figured out, oh yeah, let's get these different colored overalls and wear them and they're always too big, they're really <laughs> ugly and you would never wear them otherwise than if it wasn't a student party going on.
1: <laughs> I love it.
0: But I bet that the students have been like, why, why are everybody wearing those? What is this?
1: <laughs> exactly. It's just, I think that's one of the greatest parts about international education, international experiences in general. Obviously, I'm an advocate for studying abroad in any sort of context or being a part of that from an educational aspect. But I really think just in life, you know, even in your personal life of traveling abroad and experiencing other cultures just opens your eyes to to everything, to to so many different aspects of, you know, from the way that people do business and how a career could progress or what your job opportunities could be to you know, just food and cuisine and really just understanding more about how other people live their lives, I think helps us all become better people, honestly. And so that was one of the things, um, Actually, when I was in my undergrad program, I was playing volleyball. So in even in our D3 level, our volleyball season was in the fall semester. And then in spring semester, we had what we called spring season. So I think by NCAA law, we could we could practice and play for maybe six weeks of the semester or something like that. Um, and we, we would have a couple like friendly matches and, and whatnot and practice a couple times a week. And so my coach at the time... He didn't tell me I could not study abroad. He just discouraged me from studying abroad, even in the spring season, because he wanted me to make sure that I was playing with the team so I could come back even stronger in the fall. And I did, you know, I I, I stayed and I don't regret that, but I, I wish that I had studied abroad for a full semester. I wish that I had traveled more when I was younger, but at the same point, I kind of took that as... Now I just want to go everywhere and see every place and facilitate those opportunities for students as well. So I, um, after I graduated with my, PhD, I backpacked to Europe for like six weeks or so. Um, and then I tried to get involved with as many different international programs as I could. And I've led students abroad to, we went to Greece, we went to Spain and Portugal. I've taken students to the Netherlands. We've went to Finland. I've facilitated classes on our home turf and abroad. And it's definitely one of those things that I just, I really think it makes us all better Global citizens to understand other cultures, other ways of life, other ways that people do business. Um, And so I love it. And I've gotten a great response from students. But that's definitely, you know, even like we just said, our little overall example of it's just it's cool to see the way that other people live and what's what's normal and what's not and how those how those cultures began even of like you said I don't think there's much history to it I don't know where these overalls came from but it's a part of what you do and that's a that's a really unique aspect to your college experience that's very different to our students and so being a part of that is just really really exciting for me
0: yeah yeah and i think it's never a bad thing to get some international experiences. And even my experience in Arkansas, even though I think as a collective people from Arkansas are a little bit cuckoo, but (laughs) then again, it was such a great experience and college there was so much fun. And you guys have things that we like fraternities and sororities, you know, people in Europe, we think it's a, it's an urban myth. We think they don't really exist that it's just in movies And then I get there and they have these huge fraternity houses with the letters, the signs on the walls. And I'm like, whoa, are those real? What are those doing here? I thought they didn't exist.
1: Yeah, that is that is not a myth. They exist all over. And that's again, I think of kind of as like an antiquated tradition. I don't even know how that started or why that started, but it's definitely still still a thing here to have that affiliation with a certain fraternity or sorority, you can tell that I was not a part of one, hence my uh, you know, non non-affiliation. But some people are are really into it. And I think actually that one did start because it was having a group of people and then helping them to be successful. So it started with like job opportunities and facilitating like, oh well if you're a part of this group, then we can help you with this alumni base or whatever it was. Clearly it's evolved into a lot more than that. But yeah, not just in the movies. They're they're everywhere. Not every school has sor- sororities and fraternities, but many of them do. So like my my college didn't have any, Nazareth College in Rochester. Um but even SUNY Cortland does. So it doesn't have to be these, you know, huge institutions. Even some of the smaller schools still are affiliated with with the fraternities and sororities.
0: Yeah, yeah, that was a really weird thing for me because I was like, okay, so you guys Everybody lives on campus already, but do you want to go live together in a big ass house with 20 people? Why?
1: <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs>
0: exactly. It was, it was just a such a weird concept for me, but now that I think of it, those overalls must be a very weird concept for someone not from Finland, <laughs> seeing us run around in yellow and green overalls and be like, what the are they doing?
1: Exactly. And I think it's like you said, it was, you know, whatever student nights that that there would be, it's not just one or two of you, there'd be a 100 of you in the downtown area. And all of a sudden, you're like mobbed with overalls. You're like, what is everyone yeah. doing around here? Where's my overalls? I miss the I missed the memo.
0: Yeah, like, is there some kind of theme night going on? Am I wearing the wrong thing? Whoa.
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: Yeah, but I think it's cool that there's Because even if you've never been to the United States, even me before going, I thought that, okay, you know what, the culture is pretty similar. It's a Western country, you know, there's not that many differences. And then you get there and boom, it's not, it's the same, but it's not the same as all at at all. And I think you can learn so much from those experiences.
1: Exactly. And I think even within the US, and I'm sure it's the same in in Finland, or at least the, the Nordic countries and whatnot of the United States is very large, so it's even very different from, like, you know, you being in Arkansas versus if you were in New York or California or, um, you know, Washington or wherever, that it's, there's plenty of subcultures within the U.S. too that makes it, you know, unique as a whole, but then unique into some of these regional elements as well. That even when I went down to um, West Virginia and Kentucky, both of those are, bordering the South, depending on who you talk to, it's, it's the South or it's getting close to the South to me from New York, it was the South, you know? Um, And so people talk slower and the food is different. And some of the cultural norms are different. Just the pace of life is much slower than what I was used to in, in New York. And that's, you know, not, not that far away from me and clearly still the same culture, country, excuse me. um, But much more regional differences.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think it, it was kind of a, because school everywhere you expect that, okay, university everywhere is going to be the same. The classes are named the same, but then your teacher shows up wearing jeans and cowboy boots. And you're like, Whoa, what is happening? Man, man just rolls in wearing cowboy boots and starts handing everyone coffee. And we're like, hold on. What is this man doing?
1: Well, and I don't know if it's, um, I'm not quite sure what your lectures are like in, in Finland, but I've heard from other institu- or from other students that we in the U S or at least my classes and a lot of sport management is so in our school, um, you can declare a major early, but almost half of your your credits at SUNY Coral are what we call liberal arts credits. So it's just a little bit of everything. It's a history course. It's a science course. It's an English course. And then you start to get into your major classes of, of business and then the business of sport. So by the time they get to me, it's a senior capstone cor- course that I pretty much teach. Um, and... It's very discussion based. It's very interactive. It's very—they um, call it sometimes like a flipped classroom. So I'm putting more of the onus and more of the work on the students as opposed to just pulling up a PowerPoint and lecturing for 45 minutes to an hour or whatever the class is. And so even when I'm lecturing, I ask a lot of discuss a lot of questions throughout to spur this discussion. And I've heard at, from other. Particularly, I think it was some of the Germans were telling me, like, they're not used to answering questions in class, that their professor is there to speak to them. And, you know, the floor is theirs for however long that it is. And so they would answer me. They just were like, ah, this isn't what we normally do. I'm surprised that you're asking me things right now. And so I think those sorts of things, too, of even just the way that people teach and the way that you interact in class is different. Don't get me wrong. I don't own a pair of cowboy boots and I've never brought coffee (laughs) to my whole class, but I could see how that would happen in Arkansas for sure.
0: Yeah. I think that the whole, the teacher just lectures and nobody asks questions. I think that's more of a German thing that we Mm -hmm. have those teachers that sometimes will hijack the whole whole thing and just lecture the whole time but most mostly it's more like your style they ask questions they want discussion because we don't have those you know we have the whole three years just for sport management we don't have those general education courses they were called general education in arkansas so that's Mm -hmm. why i'm calling them that but we have those in high school like even in high school you have all those different classes that are like compulsory you have to take there's history there's psychology And then even at the end of high school, kind of last year, going towards your high school final exams, you kind of choose that, okay, am I going to go towards maybe business school, maybe science, or what am I going to go towards after high school? And then you pick kind of what you want to take more classes in and what you want to take in your final exams. And then by the time you get to college, you're kind of all set to go. And then we just kind of skip ahead to junior year and start from there.
1: Nice. Yeah, that's that's a great system, too. And and I'm not sure what the high school is like or this and that. But we have our high school is very much broad in that context. But there's no it doesn't transition to college as well. Like you were just saying, Of you know, there's no conversations in high school of what do you think you might want to do after this? And how can we tailor the rest of your high school career? High school is pretty much just set of, you know, here's your options. This is what you have to do. Everyone does A, B, and C. And then, you know, most of most colleges will still have some of those liberal arts or like you said, general education requirements in addition to your major.
0: Yeah, yeah. Here we don't have that. I think it's more of a in high school that they already give you kind of the choice that you can go towards something. I mean, you can obviously also just go the kind of liberal liberal route and just take whatever as long as you get enough done and then you can figure Mm -hmm. it out but here when you apply to go to college you apply to your major already before you even get in so you don't kind of get to study a little bit and then choose you have to know when you apply
1: gotcha yeah and this what we call it is you come into college as an undecided major, you know, very original, but that's pretty much what it is, is you don't have to choose a major right away. You can come in as undecided and you actually don't have to choose, I believe, until the end of your sophomore year. So you can just kind of sample classes and take some of your GEs and, you know, maybe you're thinking about going into sport management so you can take a sport management class, see if you like it, and then kind of go from there. But it's undecided majors are, are pretty common and it's okay for us to, to change majors too. Like fairly often students will do that of they might choose a major going in and then they realize after taking a few courses, this actually isn't for me and they pick something else, which the, the internal transfers is is pretty common as well.
0: Yeah. And I think that's such a cool system in a way, because then you don't, you're 18, you're 19, something like that when you go to college you're, you're a kid, you don't necessarily know what you want to do with the rest of your life. So I think it's cool that you can kind of go in and sample and then choose, because here you have to know when you apply after you get off, get out of high school. And then it's inside, if you wanted to switch inside YAMC, then it would be mm-hmm. relatively easy to switch to something else say, but then if you wanted to like. Switch from YAMC to the university of Jovascula, which is a whole different, whole different organization, then you would have trouble so it's not that easy to switch here.
1: Yeah, and I think what we were talking about before, too, of, like, there's a lot of pressure on on students, that you're still kids trying to figure this stuff out, and no one knows what they want to do when they're 18, and if, if you do, great, but it's not, it's not the norm, and I feel like there's a lot of pressure put on students, some of it on, you know, they put on themselves of, oh my gosh, what, you know, what am I going to do after this, but it's it's a it's a big big world there are so many different options and that can be o- very overwhelming at times of you know even if you were a really great student that was something that you know education has always kind of come naturally to me i I am still a lifelong learner that I appreciate learning new things and taking taking courses and learning from others and all of this kind of stuff so I always got great, great grades in school, you know, being successful educationally was never a problem for me. But then I put that pressure on myself of, I don't know what I want to do after this. And like, I have that same overachieving mentality of trying to get good grades as I did with, you know, the real world, if you will. And so it was overwhelming to know that there are millions of jobs out there. And to me, that's stressful of like, well, what if I pick the wrong one? And, you know, all of this kind of stuff that it's really just taking a deep breath and figuring out, I always like to tell, you know, myself, but also my students of, um, what makes you happy? And it's trying to figure out what are you good at? And what makes you happy and how can you combine those two things to find a career that you love. And so I was, you know, I'm super thankful that I found this career, that I decided to go back and get my PhD and pursue, um, you know, education and in, in a faculty position. But then even within that... You know, when I started at SUNY Cortland, we didn't we had some international programs, but they had kind of, you know, we had a partnership that was just dissolved with a different university um, in England, and we didn't really have any other sports-specific study abroad opportunities. SUNY Cortland had quite a few, but for sports-specific, there wasn't that many. And so then I I made that one of my missions, one of the things that made me happy within the job that I have, um, of kind of tailoring this towards how do I how do I find the greatest joy in in this position? So both from a, a professional standpoint and a personal standpoint of I want to provide these international opportunities, both in the classroom and in study abroad um, options for our students, because that's something that's meaningful to me. And I think it builds more well-rounded students and, and like I said before, global citizens um, beyond just staying in SUNY Cortland or staying in New York State and all of those different things. But I that's the way I like to think about it is, you know, really starting to think about what are you good at and then what makes you happy and trying to figure out how do you put those two things together is is the best piece of advice I can give on on that aspect. And something that like I said, I, I still continue to try to do with myself because our careers are ever evolving. So it's 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 a good lesson, no matter what, what standpoint in your life or career you're in.
0: Yeah. And I think it's so great that there are teachers like you who are kind of trail, making the trails and, you know, making those opportunities for students to, you know, go abroad. And even if not, everyone is so brave that mm-hmm. they want to do a whole semester of study abroad. I mean, I've moved across the world basically on a whim and that was a great experience. And I've been to a week long study trip in high school and I was always like jumping at every opportunity to go abroad and meet new people. But even if someone's like a little scared, maybe they haven't been abroad before. So maybe like a week long, you know, like the sport international course where there's a week long seminar in a different country. That's a great opportunity to go because there's the teachers coming with you. Other students from your school are coming with. You don't have to go alone and then realize after a week, oh no, I don't want to be here for four months.
1: Yeah, exactly. And the most of the um, the summer study abroads we do are usually like 15 days or so, a little over two weeks is what will take students to do more of like a educational tour type. You know, we'll go to a couple different cities and, you know, meet with some sport managers and have some coursework embedded in it. But it is more of like you're traveling with a group. Then you don't have to think about planning. You're the, you know, you pay a set fee through our university, but then everything else is taken care of pretty much. Um, and even within those two weeks, it's really fascinating to see how people change of, you know, I had a student in one of our um, study abroads going to Spain and Portugal that he was like beyond nervous getting on a flight. It was his, the first flight he had ever taken was to, um, to Barcelona. He had never even been on a plane before. He was, scared half to death I didn't know any of this stuff until we were getting on the plane and he was like shaking um so gets on the plane and then within two days he asks me one night when we're out to dinner he says um how long do you think it would take me to learn Spanish if I just moved here and I was like well look at you never been on a plane before and now you're looking to try and be bilingual that's wonderful and so you know it's those kind of little things that is just great to see some people's eyes open to, um, other opportunities. And it's scary to go abroad sometimes if you haven't traveled that much previously, or, you know, you just don't, you know, it's just scary regardless whether, whether you're traveling near or far. Um, and so I think sometimes these study abroad opportunities are a great way to kind of ease into then potentially doing things on your own or pursuing a career abroad or, you know, whatever, whatever the world might hand you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Oh my God. That's so cool that he, he would go from like, <laughs> I've never been on a plane to, Oh, do you think I can learn Spanish? Oh my God.
1: Yeah. He was like, how long do you think it would take if I moved here? And I was like, Oh,
0: nice. I like where your head's oh, now at. Oh, no, you're moving here.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it takes a long time. Let me tell you, it took me two years to understand, people from Texas so and they speak English I think
1: (laughs) exactly and that's one of the things that I'm always the most jealous about of when I go abroad we you know most Americans don't speak multiple languages and so I'm so jealous of everyone that speaks you know a dozen different languages that bilingual is like nothing for you guys of oh yeah I've been you know trilingual and even more for since you were like eight years old and so i'm always jealous of that and then every time i go abroad i think to myself okay i need to start practicing this or i need to learn this i was a spanish minor in college so i have some of that broken spanish that comes comes back when i'm traveling abroad but i would be embarrassed to to try and speak to anyone but that's a huge asset. I think that you guys have that, that you, you underestimate sometimes too of just like, Oh yeah, it's the norm. Like we all speak six six languages, (laughs) but that's definitely not the norm. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That was so funny to me in America because everyone was so surprised that I spoke such good English. And I was like, yeah, everybody does in Europe. Everybody speaks English. (laughs) And they were like, yeah, but you don't speak English with your family. And I was like, no, no, I don't.
1: (laughs) Exactly.
0: It's just like, it's the norm here to speak at least your own language and then English and then maybe something more.
1: Yeah. And I feel like the something more is pretty common among you guys. Again, even you're downplaying that of like, oh yeah, no, like some of us speak more. It's like most of you speak a lot more and it's incredibly impressive. (laughs)
0: Yeah, but I think here it's also a thing that if you're not at least almost fluent in the language, you're going to say that, oh, yeah, I can speak a few words and then you could hold a whole conversation, but you're not quite fluent. So they're going to downplay it. But so people only go, okay, I speak Spanish when they've lived in Spain for six years and they speak it like they're native.
1: Exactly. And then here we say, oh, yeah, I speak Spanish and you can like barely order off the menu at dinner, (laughs) which is pretty (laughs) much where I'm at. So,
0: (laughs) yeah, that's where I'm at with my Spanish as well. So don't worry. (laughs) I took it in high school and I got a little rusty.
1: It's I think languages are another one of those use it or lose it type of things of if you if you're not speaking if you're not trying to converse if you're not you know reading or whatever it is then it just kind of disappears or at least it is for me that even when I when I'm in Spain it starts to come back a little bit but then I'm usually there for a short enough period of time that it's it's gone again so I, I can't claim any Spanish speaking in my life
0: <laughs> Yeah yeah but this was so great and i hope i can come to sunny sunny courtland one day and i get to see see the campus and see upstate new york because i've never been there i've been to new york city on a vacation but only for a short time so it would be cool to kind of go seeing around around the state and see like the real life there and not just the tourist attractions
1: yeah definitely and you know for for you and anyone else listening it's- we're about four hours from New York city, but it is worlds apart. So, you know, we have beautiful rolling Hills and, you know, ski resorts and, um, hiking and just, you know, a lot of beautiful countryside. We have the finger lakes that are up near us. So, um, some glacial lakes that are like, look like fingers. There's like eight of them, Ah. um, but just beautiful, beautiful countryside and, you know, wineries that it's a, it's a wine region as well. And, um, it's gorgeous. And honestly, a lot of upstate New York, I think that's why I have, um, you know, an affiliation with Finland as well is like, it's a lot of upstate New York is, is very rural and, you know, beautiful country. And that was a lot of what I saw in, you know, my experience in Finland as well, which it just, it seems homey um, from that standpoint. But for anyone who's thinking about studying abroad, particularly at SUNY Cortland, if you ever need someone to talk to feel free to reach out. I can give my uh, contact information to to Monica and maybe you can put it up at the end of this or whatnot. Um, But, you know, we're always welcoming international students. If you are a student in the undergrad program and you're interested in um, the sport international class, I would highly encourage you to do that. And really just, you know, try to get as many international experiences as you can so whether it's through your school whether it's with your friends going someplace or family anything like that i think the more um, cultures you can experience the more that you even can reflect on your own career and opportunities that you might have both in the sport industry and beyond so it's it's been fun chatting and hopefully i'll see hopefully you'll be coming to to or syracuse at some point too we'll We'll get you a flight next time Isla comes out and you guys can come together again.
0: Yeah. Yeah. At least I'm gonna be hopefully on the Sport International course next fall because even though I'm graduating soon, I wanna I wanna do it. I wanna I wanna go on a trip. <laughs>
1: Awesome. Yeah. And we're hoping we got, you know, everything got sidelined with with COVID. So last year, we we did like a virtual seminar week, but we still have our fingers crossed that it's going to happen this year. This year is going to be in Istanbul, which I've never been to Istanbul. So I'm pretty excited for that. Um, So we just got to, you know, hope that everything stays as is and more people get vaccinated, and you know borders open up, and all that good stuff that we can actually get back to our our old international ways, which I miss so much. So, and soon enough, I'll be out out in your neck of the woods too. We have I also teach a, a master's class, so if if anyone's getting their masters at Yomk, um, I teach the strategic management class in the um, international masters international sport management masters that you guys have so I've done that I just finished up doing my second year with that and it's supposed to be an on-site class but it was in March of last year and then March and April of this year so it's been virtual so far but I'm looking forward to to coming back to Finland as well and then we keep talking about the the rally too that I'm really looking forward to to the good old rally days and when is that july
0: uh this year i think it's in september they pushed it because of covid measures so they're hosting it later so that they don't have that many restrictions but usually it's july
1: nice well one of these years i'm going to make a a separate trip maybe just a fun trip for that one instead of a work trip
0: (laughs) yeah you definitely should but this was such a great talk thank you for coming on Of course. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And everybody on the master's program, make a note to take her class. She's cool. (laughs) So that was that. That was the episode for this week. I really have nothing else to add because I think Tara, she's such a cool person and has such cool insights. And she has a nice story. I love her story that you don't necessarily need to know what you want to do. And then you just realize that you love something, you like something and then you make a career out of it. Like she realized that, okay, you know what? I love college life. I love university. And then she became a teacher. That's that's how it works. You don't need to know when you're 18 and just starting or 19 and just starting your studies at a college or at a university. You don't need to know at that point. And also another point I wanna make because Tara is such a cool person and such a great teacher that everybody who is applying to our master's program should Definitely take her class and also the applying period for the master's program is about to open So you need to go check it out on our website If you're even remotely interested in getting a master's degree in sport management, go check it out because it's a really good program All the information is on our website and the application period is about to start So this is a perfect time to start thinking about it and start looking into applying But I will talk to you guys more later See ya.